Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of No Place Like Mahomes. I am Sean Deegan, and we have a draft class to talk about in Kansas City. We made it. We got the gratification we were looking for. There are seven new members of the Kansas City Chiefs. So let's not delay it all. We've got a lot to get to. Let's introduce the guys. He wants to know why the Dallas Cowboys draft room looks exactly like the Death Star. Sam Blackett is with us. What's going on, man? That is a very solid point. But before we even get started, because we're going to talk about the draft, let's just get it out of the way. Because we're reunited and it feels so good. Jarek McKinnon, back with the Chiefs. It's only right. You had an over-under on whether or not Sam would sing on the podcast. You're welcome. He's not crying. You're crying after watching Deuce Vaughn get drafted. Jacob Allen is with us. What's going on, man? It's okay for men to cry, all right? (laughs) Who told you? Did Alyssa tell you? Because 100%, it was real missy after uh, the Cowboys posted the second video where you get to see Deuce Vaughn's dad talk to him before they made the call, where he's just like trying to tell him to keep his head up. It's a little misty in here. Who's cutting onions? And I am Sean Deegan, and I am already in full mock draft withdrawal. We had a crazy draft. I did want to hit just a couple of things. Sam, you nailed the first one. Uh, Jarrett McKinnon did re-sign with the Kansas City Chiefs on a one-year deal. The other uh, noteworthy thing that I just want to get uh, mentioned here at the top, uh, the Chiefs also declined Clyde Edwards-Alaire's fifth-year option on his rookie deal. Um, Not a surprise to anyone, but did want to just hit on those two topics before we went any further. Uh, They're noteworthy in Kansas City and might have some pertinent uh, pertinent might be pertinent to what the Chiefs did here in the draft and what it means for the Chiefs going forward. But let's start with the NFL draft as a whole because it's just fun to look around the landscape. It was a great night. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Kansas City, well done. You showed out great. It looked beautiful. Uh, Jacob, you, you were actually there. It looked like a great time. Really... Love it when the city can show how great it is. I've heard a lot of like the podcasters and whatnot that I listen to just rave about Kansas City. So good job, y'all. You did good. As far as the NFL draft itself goes, wanted to start at the top with other draft classes. So taking the Chiefs out of these first couple of questions, first one being whose draft did you like the best? Out of the, all the other teams in the league, who jumped out at you is, is really just, on your opinion, having done a really good job navigating the board, finding value, getting best player, whatever you might want to quantify it as. Who did the best? Jacob, we'll start with you. Well, it pains me to say it because I hate this team just like the rest of us. But the Bengals had a draft that I really liked. Uh Added a lot of players to that defense, which is what scares me. And then late in the draft, so let me rewind and say who those players are. Miles Murphy, I was getting real excited that he was getting close to the Chiefs because that's a guy I feel like Spagnol would make into just yearly, sorry, like a 10-year starter. Like, that's how I'll say it. Then they got two good guys in their secondary, solid players in DJ Turner and Jordan Battle, both guys I was like, okay, if those guys are hanging around in the Chiefs picks, wouldn't be upset if they grabbed some depth that way. 
And then another steal, I think, of the draft was they went with the Princeton wide receiver, Andre Iosivas, I'm going to say his last name is. Just, you know, plays pretty big. Did come from a, I'll call it a lesser league, because it's no secret that the Ivy League is not the SEC or even the American Conference. But I thought they've they made some solid picks at the top and then took a pretty good flyer there and Scary. Way to go. I mean, they still didn't really take any offensive linemen, but we both know they solved all their offensive line issues when they signed Orlando Brown. So, Sam, what about you? Who whose draft class jumped out to you as as an initial as, as an initial success? Yeah. So actually, I had two, and they're I think maybe probably far off from you guys because they weren't drafts that necessarily like like we talked about the Bengals and, and a team that you will talk about here shortly, Sean, that just looked at it and it's like, what? How? How? But I think they're drafts that, like, you look at it and it's, it, it sets a foundation overall for future success. The first one is the Carolina Panthers. I think getting, obviously, the quarterback, and, and again, quarterback at this point, you don't know. Bryce Young looks to be the deal just small. But the pick that I think solidified it for me was them stealing who I thought was maybe the best receiver in the class in Jonathan Mingo in the second round. Like, not only do you get a quarterback, you get him a wide receiver that I think had more traits than almost anybody. Maybe not the elite traits like the elite speed or route running, but everything combined. And then the rest of it, they just bulked out their team. DJ Johnson – I think has the potential to be a solid pass rusher. Again, I'm not saying he's elite, but you put him next to Brian Burns, like that can be a pretty devastating combo. I think if he can develop, cause he is that long lean pass rusher. And the second one, and then again, they didn't have very many picks. They only got five picks this year. So I think they, they got solid picks for what they, what they spent. And obviously getting a quarterback of the future in today's age is paramount. The other one, Goes against everything I believe in um, because they took a running back in the first round, but that's the Atlanta Falcons. I actually really like, again, I don't ever want the Chiefs to draft another running back in the first round, but as Jacob has talked about in the past, you can't deny, and, and everybody has talked, you can't deny how good B. John Robinson is. And then the rest of their draft, you look at it, Matthew Bergeron is a guy that I was really hoping the Chiefs would look at. Um, if he was available at any of our picks, I thought he had, he, he is kind of the tweener between tackle and guard, but I think he, he just looked like a guy that chiefs could, could really utilize at that right tackle position. And then they got maybe my favorite defensive end develop, or maybe even in the class, no bend at all. Like we talked about last week, but Zach Harrison, I watched some of his tape and I was just like, guy's a freaking nature. And I think they set it up really well because they, they've already done a really good job of, of drafting wide receiver and, and a wide receiver tight end combo. They obviously have a good running back or whatever you want to call them, return specialists, like come from behind hero. And then you don't know what um, Desmond Ritter is. So it's good to get him. Hey, we don't know how good he is. Let's give him another really good running back. So it's not all on him. And he may not be the future answer, but they've got the core around. So if they can get that quarterback, I think it's development for the future for him. 
Sam, please tell me you saw, because you mentioned two names. Please tell me you saw the 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 Bryce Young and Brian Burns handshake photo. I did not, no. It looks like Sam Blecka shaking my hand woken me from the eighth grade into the freshman year of high school. It is two very different sized human beings. Yeah, just a just a small child getting ready to play in the NFL, you know. So honorable mention to me goes to Pittsburgh Steelers. I love what they did getting Broderick Jones, who's my I think has the highest upside of any tackle on the draft athletically. Getting what many people thought was a top 20 pick in Joey Porter Jr. in the second round, Keanu Benton in the second round. Guy, you talked about Sam before the podcast started, Darnell Washington in the third. If his back holds up, I, just, I love that guy um, and his upside. Nick Herbig is one I don't know a whole lot about, but I uh, one dude that I, I'm interested in following is one of their seventh-round picks, which is Corey Trice, who uh, Brett Coleman, who's a film analyst and actually works for, works for the Chargers as well, um, also has a, a podcast with, um, I'm going to forget the guy's name. It's EJ and I forget his last name, but, but Brett does a, a bootleg podcast with him. It's called, well, it's called the bootleg podcast. And he thought Corey Trice was like a day two pick. So what, let's see, let's find out. So I, I liked that class, but for me, if I had to be, that's my honorable mention for me, if I had to pick it's, it's the Eagles, man. I'm so sick and tired of how he rose. He's <laughs> like the one general manager. That I just keep looking at, going, man, I would, I would put Brett Veach as, as maybe my, maybe with red and gold glasses, granted, but as a number one GM in the NFL after last year's class, if Howie Roseman just didn't exist, Jalen Carter, who a lot of people had mocked as the number one overall pick for the longest time at nine, Nolan Smith, who was a guy I was desperate for the Chiefs to get, just because I thought he added something the Chiefs didn't have. You get him right before the Chiefs pick. Tyler Steen, tackle out of Alabama, um, getting ready to replace um, Lane Johnson over at right tackle. They, they've talked about, like, Lane's probably not going to be around as, as long as everybody would like anymore. He's been in the league for a hell of a long time. So getting someone to back him up and learn the ropes this early I think is great. Sidney Brown, one of the more athletic safeties in the draft. Keely Ringo was someone that Dane Brugler has as a late first, early second, and you get him in the fourth. Got him in the fourth. Uh, Tanner McKean, you know, filling out quarterback depth, that's fine. But the last one, the uh, Moro Ojomo from Texas, was, again, like a, maybe a day three pick, but like an early day three pick is where I saw him going most of the time. So at least from general consensus from people who are outside of the NFL, it looks phenomenal. They literally just decided they're going to draft Alabama's offense and Georgia's defense, and they're going to go maul the NFL. And it it looks like they're going to be an absolute haul to deal with this coming season. Yeah, Howie Roseman is basically playing with the contra code on, <laughs> and for some reason, Veach decided to put inverted controls. He's like, let's make it more difficult by trading Tyreek Hill. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to show you why I'm better than you by take yeah. trading away my best asset. Tyreek Roseman was like, I'm going to get all of the best assets then. Yeah, and it's and not even also, like Howie Roseman. It's yeah, and that's the thing. Like, that's the only move he made where it's like, this is a good move. Because the rest of them were just like, this is, you'd be stupid not to do this move. <laughs> it was just one of those drafts where it was like, there's there's no way that guy, 
What? <sighs> I don't get it, man. And you gave up a 2020, you gave up a seventh round pick and then a 2025 fourth, I think it was, for DeAndre Swift, who fell out of favor with Detroit, but still has the upside to be a very, very good running back in the NFL. And the Eagles have shown that they can get guys who have had injury problems to be contributors to their team. See Miles Sanders last year. So I'm I'm nervous about what they just put together with a Super Bowl caliber team already. See LeGarrette Blunt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I yeah. think the the big thing I took away from this this draft and run into our next topic is if you reached into a bag with all the names of the NFL teams and picked one out, you'd have a hard time picking a bad one. Like there were a lot of teams did a very good job of and again, it's this is all speculative. We don't know what these guys are going to be, but on the surface, a lot of teams did very well at drafting this year. Just it seemed like a, a class where it was like, yeah, I can see that guy being an NFL player, but there were still teams that were like, yeah, we we don't want to be good. Speaking of, who's that team for you, Sam? We'll just let you take the lead here. Who's who's the class that you looked at and you went, what are you doing? You know they couldn't they couldn't just let uh, let last year be a lesson and and try to improve. They just wanted to keep riding. And those Denver Broncos, they looked at their team and they said, you know what, we don't have first, but let's draft a player in each round that we already have. Just just keep getting the same guy. Not not addressing any of the issues we actually have on the team. You know, offensive line. You know, Russell Wilson sucked last year. He had no protection. You remember what happened in the Chiefs game when he almost died? Even though he was actually doing well. And then, then the offensive line said, you know, no. So let, let's get a wide receiver that, that, you know, we already got several of those guys that to the point where we're actively trying to trade some of them away. So let's just add another one. Let's get a linebacker that we already have very competent linebackers, guys that were picking, making some of the most athletic interceptions on Patrick Mahomes I've seen in a long time. But no, get another one of those. Cornerback, yeah. That's actually a decent pick when you have to go up against Patrick Mahomes. But, you know, we've got cornerbacks. So they waited and until I, – I will hear no negativity about the white cornerback. This is the token white cornerback. White, white cornerback, okay. This is, this, is okay. Jason record, this is the new Jason Seahorn, so I will hear no negativity about it. For the record, also, Jason Seahorn, free safety, uh, which is to my point. When they listed Riley Moss as he walked across the stage, they didn't even have the decency to put corner on his name. It was safety on the broadcast on ESPN. Hey, in fairness, I said defensive back. But, yeah, they, they waited till the 257th pick to get an offensive lineman, which I think they got a decent one in Alex Forsythe for that pick at center. But still, Broncos, just come on. I think what you should say, Sam, is we just appreciate you. That, that is true. <laughs> Just keep doing you. Jacob, what about you? What draft class do you look at and go, oh, I don't know how I feel about that one? Well, let me start with, you know, agreeing with Sam because I felt the exact same about the Broncos. It was like, initially I could not figure out what I didn't like about it. And then I had came to the same revelation as Sam of, I like a lot of these names. Why am I hating this this, this group for the Broncos? Like you said, terrible fit. Like, I like Marvin Mims, but you're right. They have two big receivers already. They have Judy and Sutton. 
And then they already have a guy named KJ Hamler, who is basically Marvin Mims. But like I said, you're right. Drew Sanders is like a clone of Josie Jewell, who they already re-signed. So, and JL Skinner, to go one step further, that's Kareem Jackson for them. And like you said, no line. Dalton Reisner is currently a free agent because they didn't want to re-sign him. But yeah, I was with you on the Broncos draft of like, man, I like all these players, but this is a terrible fit. And then, you know, I'll disagree with Sean only slightly to be like, I had some hesitation about the Eagles draft because I know everyone's excited and I'm just contrarian anyway. They took a lot of risk, I feel like. I mean, Jalen Carter scares me a little bit for his character level. It's like, how much of a character is he? Is he Marcus Peters level of a headache or is he Henry Ruggs, Aaron Hernandez levels? Because obviously those are very different levels. Great player, not questioning the talent whatsoever. I don't like Nolan Smith. He No college production for a guy that got all one-on-ones when I've watched him. But like I said, this is what you do when you win, though. It's like you have to take a lot of upside guys, and there's some risk involved. So I do honor them for that, of like, hey, we needed to get some upside. But my absolute least favorite is, you can go ahead and clap your hands, Chiefs fans. I did not like the Raiders draft. With the seventh pick taking Tyree Wilson, I... Just do not get it. Felix is a better player than him, hands down. Easy call for me. I've watched both guys a number of times. Felix is the better player. I don't get why. I do get why. He's huge. Tyree Wilson, 6'6", 270 versus Felix, who's 6'4 on a good day and 250-ish. So I get that part of it. But I'm not in love with Michael Mayer either. I'm I'm scared he won't be able to do what he did in – college to NFL guys. He was a bully in college. I'm scared that he won't be able to do the same thing in the NFL. They took the wrong Byron Young. They were supposed to take the Tennessee Byron Young. That was clearly the better player. But like I said, those were the big reasons I had with it. Mainly the, you know, seventh pick overall is such a valuable pick. And I just, I don't get it with Tyree Wilson. So mine is, is the ultimate poverty franchise and that's the commanders. And again, the, just to put it out there again, we're fans. We're not even analysts or like the draft, you know, we're draft nuts, but not in the way that like Dane Brugler is a draft nut, right? Like he scouts to the point of just insanity. Brett Coleman does a lot of stuff. The KCSN guys do a ton of work. Um, It's just a whole different thing. So with that caveat, so I'm going off a lot of that information that's put out there. No, just just want to make sure that's out front. But why are you taking Emmanuel Forbes at 16? There were three other corners on the board that I would have taken. One of them was projected to go top eight. Christian Gonzalez, there's no reason he should have made it to New England. And of course he made it to New England. That was ridiculous. I, I didn't understand that at all. Even if you wanted to like look to the second round, like, Joey Porter Jr. goes with the first pick in the second round. That was a guy that people thought was going to be a top 20 pick. And he's sitting there waiting for you, and you just let him go. Uh, and then the last corner, Deontay Banks, who went to the Giants at 24, would have taken him over Forbes, too. I just felt like if you wanted corner specifically, I would have gone with so many, like, three different guys easy ahead of him. Not to mention all the other players that I thought were much better value picks. So... That's I, I I didn't like that one at all. The rest of the draft is it's fine. 
like Jartavius Martin at 47, Ricky Stromberg 97, Braden Daniels at 118. Like it's it's fine, but again, like they these are names that have not they didn't resonate with with me because I didn't read a ton about them. I didn't see a ton of people pounding the table as these guys. These are going to be steals in the draft. So even though I don't really have a whole lot to complain about the rest of the draft per se, I, I think that first pick just sets you back so far compared to the value you could have gotten. And I, I just I can't get on board with the rest of that draft just being fine when the first pick I felt was, was just a complete throwaway. Now, now, can I give the flip side of that coin, Sean? Fire away, please. A, a possible positive for this draft. Caleb Williams. Valid. <laughs> that is that is the an exceptional point. If they end up with Caleb Williams next year, I'll be like, I get it, Ron. You were no, right. Ron, you did it. Good job. Yeah. Eric Bietamy, congratulations. <laughs> you did good. You did real good. Last question about the national stuff, then we'll find, we'll get into the, the Chiefs side of things. This is a slightly different question. It's not necessarily who you like the best or you didn't like, but if there's a draft class that you look at that lives up to its potential, that it could go, that that team could then become a playoff contender, what is that class for you? So again, if a draft class lives up to its upside, it moves that team that drafted it into playoff contention. Sam will let you take lead. Yeah, I think this will be an interesting one. Um, I think one primary one, primarily one big one for me was one of my favorite drafts, which was the Panthers. Um, I think they have a a good foundation as a whole as a team that was ready, but just didn't have any quarterback play. Um, we saw what happened after they brought in the interim and they and they started playing well. And now with Frank Reich, like I, I think that that team with with Bryce Young has a, a strong potential within the the NFC East to to really get into the playoffs. Because again, NFC East is not a big team or a big big conference at all. The other one for me was the Colts. And that is predicated on Anthony Richardson. Like it may not be this year, but if he can, if he can be a player, like that, if he's anything like a young Cam Newton with that lineup, Jonathan Taylor and Anthony Richardson, let's just run the the speed option all day. That's all we're going to do, and and we'll still win. So I, I think those two teams, and again, they're they're in the big thing with those two is they're in divisions that are not great. So I think they did enough to easily catapult themselves into into the playoffs um, with primarily their quarterback selections. And Anthony Richardson is iffy for me. I don't because again, we don't know if he'll start this year or not. Jacob, what about you? What's what's a draft class that you look at them and go, you know, if they all hit their ceilings, this is going to push this team into playoff contention. A draft that I did not love, but a team that I feel like did add just enough is the Lions. You have an insurance policy on Jared Goff if that doesn't work through. I think Hendon Hooker was one of the secret good picks of, 
Yeah, he's an older guy, but I do think he was actually one of the safer guys of the bunch. Much like Bryce Young was the safest of the QBs. You know, he's shown that he's quality. The scary part is just, does that body hold up in the NFL? Can that body see over the line in the NFL? Can't see the rest of the field, which is a valid concern. Um, just ask Russell Wilson. It's like, obviously, I'm just kidding. Man has had a great career. But also, I mean, Jameer Gibbs is a playmaker. They took him way too early, but he's still a playmaker. And then they had one more guy that I liked, and I'm looking it up just to confirm. Jacob, come on, go back. You can do this. We believe in you. So, yeah, Jameer Gibbs, great playmaker off the top. Uh, oh, one of my draft crushes, Brian Branch. I think he's just going to be a playmaker. Well, he... <laughs> He's got the Jonathan Abram floor of I hit people hard and don't cover anybody, but he's got the ceiling of like an Eric Berry. So it was another guy I really liked that they took. So strong words, Jacob. I'm very on board with the Lions, and I like Dan Campbell, and I said even pre-podcast, they kind of remind me of they might be the next NFC Tennessee Titans, like a well-coached team that, doesn't ever have a quarterback, but is always bringing teams to the wire and always in playoff contention. They're going to bite some kneecaps. So Colts, Colts remind as well, Sam, they were the one that jumps out at me as the, the amount of upside that's everywhere with that team is even, even just beyond Anthony Richardson, like Julius Brents at corner, long, physical, athletic. Like he, he fits that kind of Chris Ballard mold that he's kind of taken with him from Kansas City. Uh, Josh Downs is a receiver I really like a lot, and, and specifically as a slot receiver, which is all he's going to be asked to do in Indy when you have Alec Pierce and Michael Pittman on the outsides. He just slots in beautifully into that lineup. I loved that pick. In day three, I think they crushed it. Blake Freeman, or Freeland, excuse me, from BYU, a long athletic tackle who just needs some refinement, needs somebody to kind of show him the technique. I'm going to butcher his name, but Adetomiwa Adebarwe, I'm not going to get that right. It's the, the edge D tackle from Northwestern, who I actually had mocked to the Chiefs a couple times. And him in day four, Darius Rush, Daniel Scott, Will Mallory, like they just loaded up on bodies at, at key positions with corner, edge, uh, tackle. Like they kept hitting those positions. I just, I thought it was a phenomenal draft by by the Colts. And if they hit, if especially if Richardson, Downs, um, Brents, Freeland, like those those four, I think that they are in a position to not just be playoff contenders but be playoff contenders going forward for a very long time. All right, we've talked about everybody, but not the Chiefs for long, long enough. Let's get to the Chiefs. Seven new faces, gents. And just to recap, the Kansas City Chiefs took with their first pick, Felix Anudike Uzoma. Second round was Rashi Rice, wide receiver out of SMU. Wanye Morris, tackle from Oklahoma. Chamari Connor, cornerback safety from Virginia Tech. B.J. Thompson, edge from Stephen F. Austin. DeAndre Coburn, nose tackle out of Texas. And Nick Jones, cornerback from Ball State to round out their draft class. Seven picks is what they ended up taking, gents. 
as opposed to doing the thing that everyone else was doing, which was, tell me what you'd grade this draft, because I honestly I just think it's boring. First thing I wanted to ask is, what did this draft teach us about the Chiefs? After it was all said and done, you saw where they went, you saw how they got there and who they got. What did you learn, if anything, about the Chiefs after this class? Jacob, we'll let you take the lead this time. I've learned that Brett Veach's guy on staff that slaps his hand from the phone isn't hitting quite as hard, or Brett Veach has grown grown to be okay with being hit on the hand when trying to reach for the phone because Brett Veach can just not help himself for trading up, even if it's three or four picks. He's he's addicted to trading up like Sean's addicted, addicted to mock drafts. It was also definitely a different strategy draft of – We've got to take those premier positions, so let's take some chances. We've got to fill those. We're not going to get those in free agency or by trade. We may be able to get one of those that way, but we can't rely on that at all. So that's what I learned. Sam, what about you? What did you learn about the Chiefs once this draft class was assembled and it was all said and done? I think the biggest thing for me was Veach pretty much had – it felt like Veach had his draft set and just drafted the guys and made sure, like Jacob said, trading up. But I, I think he traded up to ensure that he got his guys because there, there were a lot of picks like as a whole, what this draft showed me, not even just chiefs. Personally, draft analysts don't know anything as much as they want to think that like the, as much research as they do, like teams, they, they do things differently, but like, Going off, if we looked at it like as as we were mock drafting stuff, there are players that we looked at, we've talked about in the past, and it's like, they're there. Veach didn't care. He was like, no, I'm going to go get my guy. And it, and he didn't sway from that. So I, I'm not going to uh, question any of his draft picks because, as we saw last year, they kind of know what they're doing when it comes to this later round specifically. But it just it showed that they 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 got who they wanted, regardless of what we think about it. Yeah, that, I'm I'm similar mindset. Like I, last year's clearly an outlier, where they want to have that many picks. Where they they have ten picks, they take they take ten players. Like that's that's not going to be the thing. I think if Brett Beach has additional picks, he's going to want to move up, use them to get players that are rated higher on his board. I think last year keeping those amount of picks and even just the trade back uh, early on in the draft when they traded back and ended up taking Sky Moore, like that's, that's an outlier. That's not going to happen very often. Just get used to, if you're somebody like I I was listening to Seren Petro today, um, uh, the last two, his last two days of podcasts about the chiefs draft. And he is, he's not, not high on the players. He's not high on the process because he's an ardent defender of trading back, get as many darts as you can because it's, it's so hard to hit. He was not thrilled with the process of trading up all the time. We'll see. I mean, they crushed trading up last year when they went and got Trent McDuffie. Um, they also traded up on day three with Darian Kennard and we haven't really seen much of him as of yet, but again, it's a third a day three pick. So we'll see. Uh, speaking of Darian Kennard, that's the other thing I learned is that he's a guard. I don't th- I think that you're probably going to bank on Wanya Morris and Lucas Niang battling it out for right tackle in camp. Darian Kennard is now your tackle guard swing player who is very valuable on the depth chart, but I don't think that 
he's going to end up fighting for a tackle job at all. Out of all the picks, speaking of specific names, out of all the picks the Chiefs made, not necessarily who's the best or best value or anything like that, who's your favorite? What's one that you got that you were just like, oh, I'm so happy that they, that we ended up picking that guy? Um, Sam, we'll start with you. Yeah, I think for me it is torn between between the top two. Um, I think they both have, obviously, the most potential for impact. But I think Raji Rice, um, I think, has a skill set like like everyone's talked about. Again, this is not new news if you listen to any Chiefs podcast. But he has a skill set that none of the other wide receivers we have have. And I think that we saw how effective that could be last year with Juju, where guys that can eat the zone, guys that are just sure-handed, do have a very solid role within this. And, and again, he's a different player than Juju, but... I think he can slot in a lot more regularly than uh, Felix, just because I think with Felix, you've got, I, I don't know. I don't know about Felix, and, and that's where I'm so torn. I don't think I was nearly as high as on him as you guys were um, going into the process. I think he's going to be a good player, but I'm like, who are they taking out for him is my question. Jay, what about you? Who Who's the player you look at and you're like, that's my favorite? Not necessarily best value or best player, but one that you liked the most. Well, we all have dads, and we know that dads don't get overly excited about anything. Sorry, they get excited, but they show their excitement in mild-mannered ways. I'm a dad now, so I have to give this back to you. And how hard did I pump my fist? The biggest fist pump was Rashi Rice. I was, I'm pretty excited about that one. I think he's, I think he's a stud. Um, and then the other one was Keandre Coburn. I was very excited to get after we've talked about him and man has been trouble for K-State. K-State has not been able to block that guy for a few years. So I'm very excited that he has gone from Texas and is now on my team. If you've listened to this podcast, even once throughout the draft process, you know, my answer and it's Felix and UDK Zoma. I think he is arguably the most underrated player in the class, at least out of the first round picks that were done. I don't understand how someone wins defensive player of the year in any conference playing in a 3-3-5 scheme as a defensive end. He was not allowed to line up wide, which when you watch him, seems like it would be a natural fit for him to play you know, a seven technique or a wide nine, allow him to get a straight line for the quarterback and, and really bend the edge because he has a lot of that. He's got so much more bend than any Chiefs edge in the last, since the Spags era. Like there, there just haven't been guys that can move like Felix who have that burst and explosion that then leads to a speed rush where he can, you know, cut the corner just by how he's able to bend and, and contort his body. He's phenomenal. I think that – I think people had a harder time evaluating him. So, Sam, I, I understand completely where you're coming from. I don't think it's – I don't think it's necessarily as obvious as sometimes I, I think I make it sound or I'm like, I'm so high on this guy because his film is that of a guy who's playing a four-tech or a five tech. 
like or four high, I guess it's called. Like that's you're not you're not really you're taking away an inside move for a guy who's primarily a speed rusher around the edge. Like he's not he's not able to you know navigate inside on a counter because he's just running into a guard. So I I think that he was probably a hard read for a lot of people who know football better than I do because his tape is kind of weird that way. Where he was used, how he was utilized is maybe not the best way for his specific skill set. But he's got all the length. He came in. The only mark I think he missed, if you follow Kansas State Sports Network and had their draft guide, they actually show you kind of the Spags markers in terms of our length, height, and weight, the kind of things that he likes to have. And he only missed weight by five pounds. Came at like 6'3 and change and 255. So for me, he hits a lot of the same markers that Spags likes. He just offers so much more versatility in how he rushes the passer. And I think that's why I'm wildly excited about him. I was so pumped to, to see him and to get picked by the Chiefs. Well, supposedly, Sean, Frank Clark is 6'3", 272. <laughs> Anyone believe that Frank Clark played last season at 272? I think last season he might have been 240. <laughs> right. That's how I kind of feel, too. I could assure you, being a Kansas State fan, he will step in and take Frank Clark's role instantly. He can play the run just as well as Frank Clark. I think he, at this point in his career, is stronger than Frank Clark, too. So, like I said, for all the Chiefs fans out there, I think the floor is very high on Felix, and the ceiling is I don't know where because – He's such a late developing body because when he showed up at K-State, he was like 180 pounds or something like that. Or when he got recruited to K-State, that's what it was. When he got recruited, he was like 180 pounds and then just put on mass. So I think for me, like I'm not saying, like I said, I, I, I think he's going to be a very solid NFL player, even from the beginning. It is just hard to, to know even what, like, what is his initial floor even at? Because we we didn't get to see a lot of that in K State. What I'm interested to see because because when you did get to see him rushing off the edge, he does have spectacular bend, like something we don't see in in Chiefs players ever, um, in Spags defensive ends. But like, I I think call me crazy, but he he's the type of player like body wise where it's it's Dwight Freeney esque, where he is very. He's able – every time I've seen him on the edge of, of the limited footage I've watched of him, it is that deep dip. He did, He's not going to have the spin move of Freeney. Like, no one had Freeney's spin move. But, like, I just remember – unfortunately, remember him against the Chiefs primarily. But, like, almost touching the ground at times. And I don't think Felix has that. But he is – very, very bendy around the edge, which is which is exciting on that point. So I do think there is a huge place for him. And again, stealing from times ours, but the one thing they, they talked about that made a lot of sense when, when they brought it up is we now have different types of rushers, which we haven't had in a while, where you do have, okay, this guy's coming around the edge, but then Karloftis just is pushing, Karloftis and Jones are just pushing everything straight back on the quarterback's lap. So now instead of, oh, everyone's crashing the pocket so I can just run away, it's like, but Felix is now coming around the edge on up with a bend. So, yeah, I, I do see the point. I do want to divert slightly from Felix because I think the other end we took this year is interesting. Sorry. 
lost his name off the top of my head. Uh, BJ Thompson, like, dude's a freaking stretch Armstrong. Talk about a guy that's 240, but 6'6". And there is no, I, I have not found any tape other than the short highlights that they have of him, like six plays maybe. You want to talk about a guy that bends? Holy crap. And I honestly think they drafted him for Orlando Brown Jr. Like he is the exact kind of player Orlando Brown cannot deal with. Because his get off is ridiculous. Like he is off the ball so fast. And he's just like, guess what? You can't touch me because my arms are longer than yours. So I, I think he's he may be one of the more intriguing players in this draft for me, where it's just like I don't know what you are because you're real thin, very skinny, but you are a freak athlete. Let me ask you this then. Uh, let's go ahead and make the easiest one of the easiest predictions we have to. What training camp injury that sends him to the IR do you think B.J. Thompson gets? Oh, the, it's like a fraction of the back. Like, yeah. <laughs> he is like, but no, he's he he is very intriguing to me because he does have, again, a set of skills that no other end on our team has. Where it is just like Chris Jones is the only one where it's like, wow, did you see the how how fast he got off the ball there? Everyone else is like, hmm. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm not, like, saying he's going to be an all-world player, but he is. He does intrigue me just because it's, like, 6'6", at defensive end in the NFL. I don't know what you're going to do. And to clear things up for listeners or just anybody in general, man is definitely getting a redshirt year next year. Oh. So the Chiefs will, Chiefs will 100% come up with an injury for that guy in training camp. So do Except not expect this game. Yeah. He's coming for the Bengals game just because they're like, guess what, Orlando? <laughs> right. Well, it's like I said, it, it depends, you know, how much does he show in training camp. But I feel like that guy is just like, whoops, uh, he has a, a knee injury, unspecified knee injury that will cause him to miss this year and put on 30 pounds of muscle. Now, again, I don't want it to be 100% roses, although we do see things through red and gold glasses here. Try to keep things as, as close to unbiased as, as possible. What What is there that you might have done differently? Was there anything you looked at and you go, you know, even if you got the logic, like, that made you say, mm, I would have gone a different route that way, whether it was process, a player drafted, whatever the case might be, what would you have done differently in this draft? Sam, we'll start with you. Yeah, this is an interesting one. I think the only thing I could come up with like, you can go with, oh, you should have drafted this guy. You should have drafted this guy. And I'm I'm not going to go that route just because I'm not an NFL scout. I am a guy that does mock drafts on the internet. The only thing I was, like, I, I just confused about more than anything were the trade-ups to get guys. Because a lot of them seemed like, I feel like he would have been there. Like, I could be wrong. Like, they could have inside information. I mean, we saw that, like I talked about before the podcast, Bill Belichick and just said, Hey, Jets, F you. So they, they could know uh, who who the other teams want, but I'm just like, like Wanya Morris, I, I just didn't, with the other tackles that were still on the board, like I didn't think he was in that kind of demand. Um, so, yeah, it, more than anything, I think it was just the random three trades up or, or three picks up or whatever it was to get a player that just 
didn't seem like it was necessary. Jay, what about you? Is there something that, whether it be process or a player pick, that you might have done differently? Hey, you guys are right, which is also why I mentioned the Brett Veach hand-slapping assistant on the staff for the Chiefs. Because, yeah, some of them you just wonders. Like, we don't know the inside information. But it's like, Felix feels like he would have been there if you could have traded back. The only inside info we've gotten so far is that basically nobody wanted to trade back after the Chiefs pick actually arrived. Uh, my guess is on the Rashi Rice one, though, that's probably about where you had to be because the second, I would say the second tier of wide receivers was starting to go and we were headed towards the third tier. So that one didn't, like, it didn't, like, rub me the wrong way. I, I understood that one. It was like... You're scared that you're going to be picking from group three of the receivers with the Marvin Mims, Tank Dell, Jalen Hyatt, Cedric Tillman guys. Uh, and you clearly have valued Rashi Rice as like, this is he's the tier, top of the tier two, you know, regardless of what other people think. I think that's how they viewed it. Um, and then obviously tier one was that group of guys that went in the first round all back to back. The one, though, that made me scratch my head the most was the Chamari Connor pick. I just don't fully understand it. Um, I don't have a, who I would have taken instead. I just was like, seems like a strange player to take unless you were almost directly saying, Legereus Sneed, this guy is going to replace you. He's going to be cheaper because that's what it seems like to me. And so he's the one that I'm the biggest question on. But again, I didn't have some guy after him that I was like, oh, man, why did they not take so-and-so? It was to the point of the draft where I felt I didn't really love any more players left. So I can't, like, hate on it too much because I don't I don't have that situation like you guys were saying of, man, I wish they would have taken so-and-so instead of him because the guy didn't exist for me. Yeah, I I can't say anything different. It's just the process for me. I don't, and it's not knowing, right? And I don't, it's like you said, Jacob, you've kind of hit on all points, so I'll be brief. Rashi Rice, I'll still throw into that that grouping, though, because if you look at the class, and maybe this is because the Chiefs took him, but after Denver traded with Detroit, and Detroit goes up to get uh, Sam Laporta at 34, was that one? They traded with Detroit at one point, and they got our pick from Detroit. And they ended up with Marvin Mims at 63. That's the last receiver taken. There were no receivers taken between when Rashi Rice went and Marvin Mims. So could you have stayed at 63 and still got Rashi Rice? I don't know. There are other teams behind you that, you know, corner, center, tight end, guard, center, or excuse me, corner, tight end, center again. That was just kind of the rotation in a weird way. I, could you have stayed at 63 or moved back and still gotten Rashi? It's it's a question I'll have no matter what. So I, I can't say that it's wrong, but I, I will wonder. Let's move into just, I mean, we're going to be analyzing this class. The real quick, John, basically what we've all said is we are the rare podcast that said, we don't actually know more than NFL scouts. <laughs> we have tried to emphasize that many times that we are in fact fans who don't know that much but that being said 
let's act like we should know more and put some expectations on these guys. So I want to start with day three, and then we'll go back to the top and work down the top three picks. Because I feel like those top three are easier to have a specific set of expectations for rather than day three. So I wanted to kind of put day three into its own category and give kind of maybe a, a more generalized answer. If you have specifics within, go for it. But I wanted to keep that one a little wider just because obviously, like you said, Jacob, we don't necessarily have guys that we would have gone. I would have taken that guy over this guy in the fifth. Uh, so first of all, for day three, are they all special teams guys or should we expect more out of them? Obviously last year may have greatly adjusted and unfairly so to the Chiefs uh, fans' expectations of what to expect from day three picks. You're probably not going to get uh, starters and major contributors in uh, rounds five through seven, but they found a way to do it. So what can we expect from them? Is it special teams and anything else is gravy? Or are there traits, things that you've read that make you go, no, I think there could be more here. Sam, we'll start with you. Well, yeah, I think I think you made one, only one error in that statement, Sean, which is you said the top three are the ones that you think will be easy to grade. Because I think there's one player in this draft overall that I look at, I'm like, well, I know exactly where he goes, and that's Corburn. Because he's like, hey, Derek Naughty, sorry, bud. You better play your ass off in training camp, as we talked about over <laughs> group chat, because he is Derek Naughty essentially like he is the nose tackle of this team that's what they're looking for so I think he's the one out of the day three where it's like yeah I know exactly what he's there for um the other ones again I'm not going to speak on the cornerbacks because I I I don't know who they are not gonna lie I haven't watched any tape on it like any highlights on them at all um I've already said my thing with PJ Thompson I I'm interested in him intrigued by him because he is such an anomaly at his size at with with the weight specifically I think Jacob makes a good point that that he will likely they'll they will likely utilize him as a hey let's let's backstock you for a year and get a little weight on you get some NFL weight but I just like I said we haven't seen Veach take fifth round picks that we don't think yeah there's a place for like most of the time there's a place for them immediately so I think you look at the cornerback specifically they are they are special team players right now because I don't think any of them are taking the cornerbacks places that are on the team as of right now. Corburn is Derek Naughty. If Derek Naughty doesn't like, we won't re-sign Derek Naughty next year more than likely. And then B.J. Thompson is hey, let's invest for the future on a defensive end that has very unique and intriguing traits. Jacob, what about you? What what do you think are fair expectations for? day three, four th- rounds four through seven. Is it special teams all the way, or do you look at it and go, no, I want this guy to be this kind of rotational player, this guy to be this. What are the expectations from you? Yes, if Coburn is not returning kicks, I'm I'm stunned. <laughs> I want to see all 331 of that man <laughs> taking a kick to open the season off. Sam has laid it out very well. The corners are absolutely special teams, guys. The seventh-round corner... I didn't even watch anything about him because when I saw a seventh-round corner, I'm like, you're taking that guy for special teams. There's no other explanation. Again, the guys they have are not going to get replaced. Uh, I'm going to just slightly correct Sam's statement of 
we're not going to re-sign Derek Nottie next year. I'm not sure Derek Nottie is going to make it out of the preseason. He has to. Play. I was giving him benefit of the doubt. <laughs> I mean, he has. If they play equal levels, who are they going to dump? Naughty. That's who they're going to dump. So he's got to outplay Coburn big time in the preseason. Which again, I, I'm telling you guys, Coburn is a problem. He's not going to like. He's not going to have a bunch of quarterback sacks, but he's going to be a problem. He's he's not fun to deal with. And K State has some good interior offensive linemen that will get will probably be NFL players next year. So it wasn't like he was going up against a bad interior offensive line. Yeah, B.J. Thompson, to me, the only like additional thing I have on him is he's he's even smaller than this guy, but weight-wise, he's Tano Passino, but taken in the correct round. You know, this is where you take a flyer guy. So I was like, oh, okay, I, I get this B.J. Thompson pick. It's like a big upside pick, and you're hoping that something happens there. I, I'm not putting too much stock into it because, like I said, around the Tremari Connor pick, I was kind of out of the guys that I thought were, I'll call them all three down players because Coburn was still there in my mind. I was like, okay, I'm watching, I'm watching. But he's a two-down type of guy, I think, for them at most. Uh, and so I, I'm not going to be upset that they've take, started taking flyers around the Chamari Connor time. Like I said, if Chamari Connor does end up being LeJarius Sneed's replacement, great deal. But I just don't think it's going to be immediate. I can't contribute a whole lot more to that. I think it's all special teams. Coburn is the one that stands out as a potential rotational piece. We'll see about the rest. I'm not going to hold their feet to the fire. I just, day three is weird. So I'll say special teams, rotational piece for, for Coburn and maybe BJ, but Coburn's the only one that I, I actually expect to have a rotational role within the defense to start. All right, let's go to the top of the draft. Felix Anyudike Uzoma. What are the reasonable expectations to put on him? You can quantify this however you want, whether it's production, style of player, impact, however you want to say it. Jacob, since he's K-State, we'll let you start. What do you think are reasonable expectations for Felix in his rookie season? I think I've already basically stated of his rookie season, he needs to be and I think will be just as good as Frank Clark was over the last couple seasons. Hopefully more this year Frank Clark of a guy that occasionally surprises the offensive tackle and then just is a solid, not rotational, a solid starter. I think that's where you want him to be this year. I think by year two, you're like, okay, this guy is starting to become a problem to deal with. I think you guys also, you know, put good expectations on him of, it's like his development will probably be a lot like George Karloftis's because I'm hoping this year is a breakout season for George Karloftis because now you have two hard hat type of guys that are just relentless. And I think that's going to be a lot of fun with Chris Jones in the middle of that. Sam, what about you? What are what do you think are reasonable expectations to put, put on Felix's rookie season? All right, Jacob wrapped it up well at the end of a statement there, which is George. Like, I think if if you can, like asking him to be more than, than what uh, Karloff just did last year is is a lot. Because I think they, they are kind of the they're bizarro versions of each other where I think as far as to like where they're at in as players is similar. They just do very different things. 
So I think they are. I, I think if you could see a Karloftis type season where it's a slow start, but then he picks up after he starts to get into the into the game, is is a good good point for him. And I just love the fact that we're going to have Furious George and King Felix, like just great nicknames for defensive ends. It's just and and then and then Stone Cold Cold Jones. Like, what can you ask for more? I will add one more thing to this. Um, I'll piggyback right off what Sam said. Also, Felix and Yudike Uzama, I promise you guys, you're going to love his sack celebration if you have not seen it already. It's very in rhythm. He calls it Rock the Baby. I heard it on. Yes, Sam is currently doing it. It's a Rock the Baby, but then it also has like some dramatic steps that are very well timed out and then putting the crown on. Like I said, his timing on it is impeccable. Um, it was... Then- for me, it was the second, like, my favorite was Mike Morris's sack celebration until I saw Felix's, because Felix did have a great one. Because, like, Mike Morris says that, uh, uh, like, just showing off, he's a huge man. But then Felix, it, it did, it was like, yeah, that's that's good. That's yeah, good. and I like, I like what you're saying, Sam, because they are very poor opposites as far as their skill sets. Because Karloftis is, you know, hand fighting and winning of you know, with a move and Felix is going to be, I'm going to bend around you, but I would say similar traits they do share are both guys are undersized. You know, I'm not going to try to lie to you. They're both shorter than the Spags DNs that we're used to, but both guys are very strong and both guys are very good at stunts, which is a very Spagnola thing of you can move inside, you can move outside, you can slant, you can twist. It's, it's going to be fun for him. So I get why they took him. It's a good fit. And they both have passion. I will disagree. Karloftis is undersized. He is 6'4", 260. Where does that become undersized? It's an undersized Spagnola defensive end is what I'm trying to say. Spag's like 6'5", to 6'6". I'm going to go back. I'm going back in the KCSM draft guide. I'm going to get the metrics. Not right now because we have to record, but... I'm you're not undersized. Undersized for Spagnola defensive ends is what I will keep saying. Because that, Leia, let me correct my statement. They're not undersized if, defensive ends. If we were drafting Spags defensive ends, Zach Harrison would have been the first round pick. 6'5", 270 pounds. That's a Spags defensive end. <laughs> also, I looked it up. Tano Passigno, 6'7". You guys want to guess his weight? 250. <laughs> okay. Sean? 246. The draft says he was 289. What? I don't believe it, but that's what it says. Jesus Christ. They're on him. <laughs> so uh, I, I guess Thompson has more than uh, 30 pounds to gain to be Tano passing you. I think I have to temper my expectations because I'm very high on Felix. I think the things you should expect are how he impacts the play. To your point before, uh, Sam, about what the pocket looks like, or Jacob, I think you said this too, but like it collapses because of the pressure that uh, the Chiefs are able to do. But then, the Sam, I think you said, well, the quarterback looks at them and it's like, well, I'm just going to run away because you're not going to get around the edge. I'm just going to go. I think now having someone like Phoenix who forces somebody to step up in the pocket because he is going to bend that edge, seeing what that does for – you know, with Chris Jones of the world, if, if Karloftis moves inside in the three-tech or, or Charles Minihue, see what it does for their production. 
and how they're able to impact the game because he's cutting off the escape route on the backside. I think that's where I want to see the expectation. I think uh, statistically, Karloftis' season looks good. I think that's reasonable expectations for someone who's going to start the entire year, which I expect him to. I think he should be your starting right defensive end coming out of training camp. I think that has to be an expectation. So those are the things I would say are reasonable to expect from him. Real quick, and I don't want to drag it out too far, but the only reason I disagree with that is because of Charles Aminahue. Like, what was the point of signing him if, like, where's he going to play? Because he can play defensive tackle, but that's not his position. And I don't think he's going to sub out George Karloftis on first and second down. Because I don't think Felix is going to be the run stuffer of this group to start with. I think, as you said, he has that ability. But, like, to expect him to, to be a starter from day one, like, he has to show his ass, like, show out in training camp, which it's possible. But... There are other players, <laughs> I think, is my thing. <laughs> Moving to the second round with Rashi Rice. This is one that we'll talk about it later in, in the offseason, but this is my, you better be right, Brett, because Marvin Mims is an easy one that went right behind you that went to Denver. We're going to be able to track pretty well because he's in the West. So you better have been right, which I think he was. I like Rashi a lot better. But we'll see so what are reasonable expectations to expect from Rashi Rice year one as a receiver in a notoriously difficult Andy Reid offense? Um, Jacob, we'll start with you. I'm going to piggyback off what Sean said this time and say I like Rashi Rice better because of the player they were trying to replace. They were trying to replace Juju, and they tried to, and I think they're trying to grab a guy that is a lot like Juju. Of he's physical, he finds open spots in the zone. Um, he likes the backside throw a lot is what I've noticed as I've started to watch him more and more loves a good hitch route. Those are like, I think his biggest strengths is like I said, being physical with the ball, finding openings and zones and then coming back to it. But I think an added element that I don't see, didn't see from Juju was the jump ball. I mean, we've all seen the highlights of Rashi Rice will go up and jump and get the ball. Now, my fear with him is is his separation. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't see him getting tons of separation, but because of his physicality and vertical, he makes it not as big of an issue. But my expectation is that he does step in, and I'm going to say is 90% of what Juju was last year, which was, what, 900 yards, and I don't feel like that's an unrealistic expectation for what the wide receiver room is right now. There is a lot of, there's a decent amount of catches slash yards that you could take away from McCole Hardman and Juju. I think it's about 1,300, 1,400 yards between the two guys. And I don't even know the touchdowns. It's not a ton. But the yards is the one I'm more looking at because touchdowns can be so finicky about who gets them and who doesn't. So I'm not as concerned putting a metric on that. Sam, what about you? What do you think is realistic for, for Rashi Rice's rookie year? So I think I I like what Jacob said about the 90% of Juju, like, because I agree with everything he said about what he brings to the table, what he brings to the wide receiver room. 
The only hesitation I have and the only reason I would back that off to 50% is the historical aspect that Andy Reid red shirts wide receivers, basically. Like, we saw what he did with Sky Moore. We, like, he is another second-round pick that they basically just said, okay, you're going you're gonna to get some play, but but not a lot. So the the one advantage I think Rashi Rice has, is, as we've talked about, is he has such a unique skill set compared to all – well, not unique, but such a different skill set to all the other wide receivers that we have that he has a place immediately. But it just matter. I think the only thing that holds him back from being that 90% of Juju is can he learn the offense, number one, and where does he fall with Andy? So you mentioned the historical aspect of Andy Reid's offense, Sam, and I'm glad you brought up history because I actually went and looked because I was like, what's realistic? In the 20-plus years of Chiefs rookies, the last 20 years, we'll just say that, the last 20 years of Chiefs receiving rookie seasons, tight end, wide receiver, etc., there are four that have 600 yards or more. Those are Dwayne Bowe, 2007. Chris Buford, who had 789 for the Dallas Texans in 1960. Sylvester Morris in 2000 with 678. And then Johnny Robinson of that same 1960 Dallas Texans team who were just slinging it over the yard for for that era uh, had 611. After that, the next closest is Tyreek Hill with 593. I want to put higher expectations on Rashi Rice because, like you said, there's a massive gap for for targets and yards and opportunity there. But if if playing dynasty football has taught me anything, it's that just because targets are available doesn't mean your guy's good enough to go take them. So vacated targets are not necessarily a thing for me anymore. I I think that if he puts up 600 yards receiving – Massive success as a rookie. Massive success. And I think the kingdom will have a hard time with that. But historically, that's more than reasonable. Most of these guys are 500 yards or somewhere in that range. So for me, I think Rashi Rice's rookie season, if he can get to 600 yards plus, huge success. After that, he needs to be a 1,000-yard receiver. Full stop. Like, he has to be Juju plus. And he has to be definitively better than Marvin Mims for, for to justify that trade-up for me. Because I love Rashi Rice. He was one of my favorites. We talked about him, that bully ball style of play, just missing from this offense. And I love that he's here. But we have a very easily trackable player who went behind you at your original pick to a conference rival. So you better be good. Like, you have to be better than him. So for me, rookie season... 600 yards is a massive success. After that, we need to see some some drastic steps going forward. The good thing is for Rashi Rice is he doesn't have to do much to beat out the other guy that we compare other receivers that got taken after him for. Like if Marvin Mims because becomes DK Metcalf, I, I quit. I'm done. <laughs> Just no more receivers in the second round. Full stop. You're not allowed to draft any more receivers in the second round. Uh, for the record, if you want to stat check me, uh, stat muse, 
where I got those those numbers. So anybody who's curious and want to go look at the full list, uh, there's some names on here, man. There's some names on here. Uh, so feel go go check it out. It was pretty interesting. Uh, last guy for the night, and we'll wrap things up for for. This. Oh, Sean, sorry. One quick Rashi Rice final thing. Who was the college teammate with Rashi Rice? Current chief. The college teammate. I mean, there are lots of college teammates. His college it's, teammate at SMU. At SMU, that's on the Chiefs. Yes. Through him passes. Let me give you the biggest hint. Oh, Shane Michelle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I almost forgot about that. Heard his name in some of the younger highlights. I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And then Clark Hunt Bean from SMU himself. It was like, there's some insider info on this one. All right, last guy for tonight, and we'll wrap things uh, for this go-around. Wanya Morris, starting left and right tackle at different points, when whether he was with Tennessee or with Oklahoma. Uh, former teammate of Trey Smith, just missed Creed Humphrey, but I think does know Creed from uh, those three working out with uh, Duke Mannyweather and his camps. So a little familiarity with Wanya in the, the Chiefs' offensive line room. What do we think? This one's hard because the Chiefs right tackle position has been kind of a revolt, a door that revolves and then is filled in by Andrew Wiley, and now he's gone. So what's reasonable for Wanya Morris? Uh, Sam, we'll start with you. I think what's more than reasonable is him to be the starting right tackle. And the reason I say that is because Lucas Niang has showed little because he's always hurt. Like, again, I I think we all expressed early on that we do like Lucas Niang, but he can't stay on the field. He's had lots of injuries, and I think a big part of that is his his weight. Like, he's a big dude. When you compare him to other offensive tackles in the league, like, he is heavy. He's not, the like, the fittest guy in the world. So I think that plays a big role into into his injury history. And Wadi Morris, I mean, guy – played I, I think I didn't read do you guys know why he transferred like what the reasoning was just to play with a better team or I didn't actually ever see what the reasoning was that for that was yeah because like, I mean, like he was a, a very highly touted freshman like several awards within his freshman year at, at starting left tackle for a very pass happy team and then went to Oklahoma, had to sit behind um, – oh, I'm going to forget his name. Offensive tackle. I, I've lost his name. Sat behind a guy that got just drafted last year um, and then got to start his senior year at right tackle. So I, I think he's he is a very good prospect and getting to play next to a guy that he knows how to play next to. Because, again, for those – they haven't played offensive line. Having that relationship with, like, as a tackle to the guard, having that relationship is incredibly important. And knowing how each other plays is integral to being effective on the offensive line. So being able to pair him up to a guy that he played two seasons with, with Trey Smith, is actually a very cool thing to see because they already have played together. They know each other's system, and they'll have to get back used to it. But I, I think it is – very reasonable to say, you know, he should be the starting right, right tackle this year. Jacob, are you are you same mind as Sam, or there, do you feel like maybe those are too high of expectations? What do you think is reasonable for Wanya Morris? I don't like this, but I'm going to give him an 
expectation of like a guy also from Oklahoma, Donald Stevenson. They are very similar guys. And I could see at least his first year playing out kind of the same way of battling for time for a while, but then maybe starting about half the games on the season. And hopefully that's down the stretch as he kind of sells in. Lucas Niang came in during the Super Bowl and looked like he was pretty fit. So I heard that was one of the things as well that the Chiefs were kind of, you know, getting upset with him about. And then to answer your question on Morris, it kind of seems like he was losing playing time, but also there was an internal investigation about one of his coaches. I'm trying to figure out if it was head coach or not. So it sounded like it was all going downhill for him is why he left Tennessee to answer your question. But yeah, he's not a guy I looked at a lot pre-draft and afterwards I really kind of like because they clearly like the Eric Fisher, Mitch Schwartz version of their tackles versus the Orlando Brown, Andrew Wiley version of their tackles. They were like, let's get away from road graders. We want those athletic guys that let Patrick take long drops and just launch the ball downfield. They like the dancing bears. Yes. Yeah, I, it's it's un, it's an unreasonable expectation in most cases, but I do think it's reasonable to say that I don't say he needs to come out of camp as the starter, but unless Lucas Niang just plays shut down healthy football, I I need to see him be a starting right tackle. If Lucas Niang comes out and plays, you know, lights out and somehow is able to stay healthy, great. But that's just not been what we've seen. So I think Wanya Morris needs to show that he can earn the starting right tackle spot at some point. Not just get it by default because Lucas Niang is hurt. But at some point show, yeah, I'm, I can be the guy over here. I can, I can hold this down for the next several years. And finally we'll shore up both tackle spots so that Mahomes isn't running for his life. Breaking news. Um... The Chiefs have now placed a second player on IR. Lucas Niang has been placed on IR with BJ Thompson. I actually went to Twitter just now to make sure that wasn't true. <laughs> All right, everybody, that's going to do it for us tonight. We appreciate you joining us each and every week. We really do appreciate all of the support uh, we've received over this last week, week and a half, especially with the draft. It's It's been really cool to see how many people were tuning in. Uh, it means a lot to us. It is very humbling. Uh, next week, we might be able to dive in a little bit more, maybe what the upside of these guys are. We'll see what happens between now and then. It's going to be a long off season, so buckle up. We'll have lots to talk about. And until next time, you all stay safe out there, and we will talk to you next week. Bye.